0: On this edition of the Pigpen Podcast, we are going to discuss a very interesting poll published in the Washington Post about the popularity of certain teams in this city and where the Redskins fell in that poll. Plus, talk a little bit about how Dwayne Haskins performed against New York and how he can continue to get better against the Lions. This is the Pigpen Podcast. Let's do it. Drag up that diesel. Oh, I'm- Trying to find running room, and he's still on his feet. hole. He's got the first down to the 40. He's gone. The 35, the 30, the 20. He's gone. He's gone. Touchdown, Washington Redskins. This is the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore day on Twitter. If is your first time listening, as always, be sure to subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and go on over to hogshaven.com and become a member of our community if you are not already doing so. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, not a whole lot on the field stuff with this 1-9 and nine Redskins team. We are officially in the point where we are going to talk about the on-the-field stuff after the off-the-field stuff on these podcasts, because that's kind of where we are with this team. Uh, So we are going to talk about how Dwayne Haskins performed against New York and what I think he can do a little bit better this week against the Lions in what is, for all intents and purposes, a game that is made to see him perform well based on who the Lions are defensively. But we do have to talk about this Washington Post poll that was published uh, earlier this week, or maybe it was at the tail end of last week. But We're in a situation now in this city where we have champions. We are the District of Champions, and after the Capitals won, we kind of claim that, like, jokingly. But since the Capitals won, we have won two more championships in this city, and it's not a a huge secret that the Redskins are kind of falling from grace, but based on the poll that was run in the Washington Post, they are really, really falling from grace. And there's kind of two polls to talk about, if you will. There's the Washington Post one, and there's this fan poll, Fan pulse poll, which kind of moderates your, I guess, hope. Maybe hope isn't the right word, but how much you believe, how confident you are in the Redskins. Uh, We're at like 2% at this point in the season. And that makes sense. We are one in nine, but we have kind of been hovering below 10% for a long time like five, six, seven weeks, something of that nature. An alarmingly high amount of weeks we have been hovering very low on that poll. That's not really a surprise though if you've watched this team at all. It's no secret. You can still be a fan and critique the team when they need to be critiqued, and this team needs to be critiqued because they're not very good. But the Washington Post poll was kind of a different animal, if you will, because anyone in the fan polls poll, you can kind of get in there and do whatever you gotta do. But the the Washington Post poll is it's literally right in the heart of our city. And it, obviously you're not going to get everyone involved in this poll. It was The polling itself was cast over a span of about five days, and it was uh, it started November 12th through the 17th, so it was just a few weeks after the Nationals had won the World Series, so that is going to impact the answers a little bit because, I mean, let's be honest, that World Series run was a hell of a lot of fun for just about everybody in this city, so that is going to impact it a little bit, but when you look at some of the numbers uh, from this poll, of the near 1,000 people, the question that was asked of them is, what is your favorite sports team in Washington, D.C.? And the options were the Nats, the Caps, the Mystics, the Wizards, the Redskins, and I think D.C. United was in there. Although if we're just gonna be honest here, I'm not trying to throw massive amounts of shade at DC United, but if you ask a thousand people who their favorite team is, and if you get more than twenty-five people of that thousand that say DC United, uh, they're either liars or they're just major soccer fans and that's who they are. It's one of the two because not I I haven't been to a DC United game, I don't think ever. They're the one team in this city that I've never been to. I've been to a tennis match in the city, but I haven't been to a DC United um, match. So that should kind of tell you where at least I stand when it comes to DC United. Uh, but the, the general gist, the nationals were the top spot with about 28% of the votes and the Redskins were 13. So 13% of nearly a thousand people when asked said their favorite team in this city was the Redskins. To put it in perspective, something similar was, was run in about 2010, So roughly a decade ago, 34% of those asked said the Redskins was their favorite team. And if you remember correctly, we weren't good in 2010. This was pre-RG3. We're talking like Rex Grossman, John Beck type stuff going on in that time frame. Maybe the Donovan McNabb trade going on here. So we weren't exactly juggernauts back then, yet still 34% of people said that their favorite team in the district was was the Redskins. 7% said the Nationals, if you were interested in that contrast as well. Now, I've thought about this question a little bit. I was not one of the people asked, which was a little bit unfortunate, but I also don't know how I personally would have answered this question. I'm kind of... I don't want to say an anomaly because I know a lot of people in this city are very similar to the way that I view sports here, but I am very much a season-by-season season goer, so I don't necessarily know if I have one specific favorite team because I am invested in all of them except for DC United. I'm invested in all of the other teams in this city, so I probably, based on the, the timing of it, may have leaned to nationals because of the World Series run, um, but I I'm invested everywhere, so I don't know how exactly I would have answered this, but I can tell you, a couple years ago, uh, when I was in high school and maybe the early years of college, I definitely would have said the Redskins. Like It would have been an absolute no-brainer that I would have said the Redskins. So if, that, if I was one of the people asked in 2010, no-brainer, without a shadow of a doubt, I would have answered the Redskins without a second thought. It's such a strange place that we are in now and just how much, or I guess the lack of, of excitement surrounding the team and long-term excitement. Now, there was one thing that happened against the Jets that did get me a tad excited, which was the viral speech of Dwayne Haskins. We will get in in more detail into that on the back half of this podcast. But I ran through some more numbers, and there's a great article on Hogshaven that has a lot of these numbers. uh, So If you haven't checked that out, go check it out at hogshaven.com. But I was running through some of the numbers inside of that article and a lot of this was according to, to, to Bloomberg with some of the money stuff, but the, the game against the Jets had a paid attendance of 56,426, which is the lowest since 2013 in the month of December, which I kind of used uh, process of elimination. I rec- realized that was the game against the Chiefs in 2013, which was a snowstorm of sorts, not one that we see a whole lot during December in this area, which caused a lot of people to not go to the game. The Redskins also got beat 45 to 10 in that one, and that was kind of the weird RG3 rebound season that ended up not at all being any form of rebound, but that should kind of speak as to how bad this team has become, because Sunday wasn't a terrible day. It's not like the weather was bad, more people went to the game against San Francisco than they did against the Jets. And when you're talking about just from a fan perspective in terms of letting other fans come to our stadium, which if 56,000 people were at this Jets game, an alarming amount were probably Jets fans. I don't want to say a full 50%, but let's be honest, it was probably a little bit more than 50%. Yet more people still came to that 49ers game, and those are 49ers fans are all the way on the other side of the country. Like, I don't just see random 49ers fans all the time around here. The Jets traveling situation is a lot easier. and yet still here we are, Redskins Jets, and we're not even eclipsing 60,000 people. It's a bad bad situation and I heard them. you heard them, everyone heard them. the sell the chant the sell the team chants on the on the uh, during the game, which I heard on the broadcast. like they, they, I'm hearing this on the actual broadcast on Fox. And I can pick that out immediately because I assumed at some point we were going to get this sell the sell-the-team chance. But the, the worst part of that whole situation with the sell-the-team stuff is why. Like, why would Dan Snyder ever want to sell the team? And this was the numbers that I was talking about from Bloomberg here. Because when you take this into account, it is very unsettling just why or how Dan Snyder's probably never going to sell the team. Like the only reasonings, based on these numbers, which I will share in a second, this is just what we call a long tease, but the only reason Dan Snyder would sell the team is either if he got bored or if he died. Those are the two options, because based on the revenue split, and the revenue split with adjusted television contracts alone, so with Fox, CBS, ESPN, all of that, that's a total of $8.1 billion for the entirety of the NFL. That is split into about $255 million per team. And the way that the team is set up, that money solely from the television contracts, from nothing else, not tickets, not jerseys, none of that stuff, just from the television contract, that essentially wipes out all of the costs that you would pay for salary, uh, for the guys that are on the team with uh, rosters and all that stuff, with uh, pensions, insurance, all of that is basically taken up by that television contract money. So Dan Snyder is getting that $255 million, and he's essentially using that to take care of all of the actual football-related things that go into the day-to-day operations and year-to-year operations with the Washington Redskins. And then everything else is kind of just an added bonus to him. He has, I think it's a 27-year deal, it's 25 or 27, a 27-year deal with FedEx for the name rights of the stadium. So it's going to be FedEx field for a very, very long time. Uh, That deal, I think, was signed in the late 90s. So we got at least close to another decade of of FedEx Field. Um, He has all of these billboards throughout the stadium. So um, sponsors, all of this stuff. I know for a while the Bud Light Pavilion was over there. That is something that he gets paid for. I have no idea if that still exists. But when I used to work at the street team at 980, we were out there in the Bud Light Pavilion. Um, So all of that stuff is stuff that Dan Snyder also is getting paid for. That doesn't even count the concessions, and if you've ever been to a Redskins game, the concessions are absurd. They're just absolutely astronomical. We had my family had Redskins season tickets in 2007, which was a up and down year because that is the year that Sean Taylor died. Uh, but we did make the playoffs that year, so we used to go to all the games. Our C, our tickets were actually the wor- literally the worst that you could be. We were the final row in the stadium. We are banging on the colored fence when guys are trying to kick field goals. All of that as a 12-year-old, which is how old I was in 2007, it was a great time. But I also did start to realize, like, wow, this is really expensive. My dad and I would go get a water, and it'd be like 5.50 dollars for a 12-ounce water. And you don't have to be a grown adult to recognize that is a lot of money for, a, for just a water. And I'm 12. Like, I'm not getting a beer. So if you're getting a beer, that's double the price right there. So that is all money that Dan Snyder is just racking into his pocket. So with this, this, this sell the team stuff, well, you know, he, why? He's, he's making all this money. The Bloomberg, um, Bloomberg uh, continued to report here saying the average cost for two people to go to a Redskins game is $567. $567 for two people to go to a Redskins game. And that includes parking, that includes the tickets, and then that includes your food and your drinks. That is nearly, that's over Half a thousand dollars for at most 12 hours, at absolute most 12 hours of your life for a half a thousand dollars right there. It's the ninth highest cost in the NFL to go to a game here with a team that doesn't win. It sucks. It's like, it's this. I definitely believe that that statistic in itself factors into this poll that we were talking about as to why the Redskins have fallen from grace because you're paying half a thousand dollars to go watch a team that is not set up very well, uh, that's run by a guy in Dan Snyder that none of us really seem to like, although some of the players kind of do. Uh, but he is putting a lot of the the charge in the hands of Bruce Allen, who is an absolute complete moron and is kind of maybe the only reason, not the only reason, but a majority of the reason, that the team just swung and missed for, um, check your calendar here, six years of misdiagnosing their best player with cancer. So while it sucks and while I think that truly in the hearts of just about everyone in this city uh, they are a footballs this is a football city but I love what we did with the Nationals parade I love what we did with the Capitals parade I absolutely 100% believe if the Redskins win a Super Bowl you might actually double if not triple some of the 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 crowd outcomes the outpouring it would be magnified way more but we're not because we got a bunch of idiots running the system. They're a bunch of power-hungry little boys who are making a lot of money just having a little bit of fun, not caring about the actual football stuff, not caring about actually dealing with what happens on the field, yet they're still going to charge you. I didn't even get into the fact that you have to pay for parking if you want to go watch the Redskins during preseason and training camp. I haven't been to the Richmond... Training camp, when they used to have it out in Ashburn, you know, about 20-ish minutes from the facility, I'd go out there every now and then. And to the best of my knowledge, it was it was free then. But supposedly, you got to pay to go down to RVA. You want to get in and see the team practice? You're shelling out a little bit of money there. And there's always going to be some glimmer of hope at the start of a season as to, hey, maybe this team is going to kind of bounce back a little bit. I know for a fact, I had that this year. I thought the team was going to be solid. I said on this podcast, I'm thinking seven, eight wins. Not anymore. Not even close anymore. But yet you still have to pay so much money to just to go watch the team. I don't know if this is what rock bottom is for the Redskins. But I think just the poll itself, and when you sit down really and truly think about just how far this team has fallen from 2010 where they were already bad, If you can get lower than this, what is it? I mean, how do you actually get lower than this? The team couldn't even sell 60,000 tickets to a game against the Jets. The team is bad, and they got trounced by said Jets. You can't even, your best player doesn't want to be here. He hasn't wanted to be here, and the idiot running the team is saying, Oh, he's going to play for us. We got him. He wants to play for the Redskins. The mixture of delusional and just flat out stupidity have caused the Redskins to tank to sensational levels when it comes to public opinion in this football city. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's sad. It's depressing, but nothing is going to change until at the very least Bruce Allen is no longer calling the shots. We have to at this point come to the gripping reality that Dan Snyder is not selling the team. He is still making a boatload of money from this organization and he is not going to ever stop that unless he unless he calls it quits here on earth. Let's just say I'm not wishing death upon the guy, but that seems to be the only the only way or reason that Dan Snyder would no longer be running the team is if he dies. Because billionaires don't get bored when making money. They just don't. So I was I was I'd love to know anyone else's thoughts on this poll here. Before we jump into the actual like football stuff here, I'd love to know your thoughts at Denton underscore day on Twitter. The the sell the team chant. It's fun. I I think it's it's great internet stuff. It's not gonna do anything. I still have a little bit of hope in the fire Bruce Allen. Hashtag. But at this point, I mean Hope is relative when it comes to this team. Well, now let's try and do our best to be positive for the next seven to eight-ish minutes or so. I'm going to do my best at least. Dwayne Haskins had his uh, his next start, his latest start, we'll say, because this is going to be a, a constant thing now for the rest of the season against the Jets. The game itself didn't turn out very fun for us. I thought we were going to win. I got on this podcast and said we were going to win, and I was reminded why I don't actively predict Redskins games here on this podcast. But I did see, I saw some positives from Dwayne Haskins in this game, but the biggest positive of all came on the sideline. We have all seen the video at this point. I mean, this is being taped on a Thursday, so we have all seen the video of Dwayne Haskins going up to the offensive linemen and pleading with them knowing what he can do to help. And when I saw this video on Twitter, immediately I was this is this actually got me excited. Like I said uh, earlier in this podcast, I don't remember prior to this event. I don't remember the last time I was genuinely long-term excited for something about this team. It's been quite some time, at least 3 to 4 years maybe I mean, obviously, like during certain games, you get excited for, for scores and stuff like that. But I'm talking long-term excitement. But when I see Dwayne Haskins going to the group of offensive linemen and pleading, saying, what can I do to make this easier for you? It does fill you up with some amount of optimism and joy. Now, I didn't like how there were certain guys in that circle that seemed to just not give a damn that their young rookie quarterback was doing his best to to be better and to make this game better. Uh, easier to make this game more competitive, to score points. I don't know exactly when this happened. I haven't seen anything, but in my heart of hearts, I don't even know if this is true, but I'm just running with it to be optimistic here. I would like to think this happened right before the uh, the Geis drive, when, where Darius Geis scored his touchdown, which I thought was the best drive that Dwayne Haskins has put forth his entire career. So in my heart, I'm just going to pretend if that isn't actually the case that that happened then, but I... I would guess just based on the timing, it was very close to around that time. It would make sense if that did happen, if that drive happened right after that conversation on the sideline. But it was a little bit alarming to me, not just to see that certain offensive linemen in that group didn't seem to care, but there were people that thought this was a negative. And I know, like, you can, everyone can look at certain things. Like, if you will just allow me to quote Nas here, I do like Nas, I'm going to quote Nas here one said you and I can see the same thing and have a different view. So I totally get that there, there could be some people that could see that situation and see it differently than I saw it. But I can't fathom how anyone could see that video of Dwayne Haskins pleading with his offensive line as to how to make their job easier and make the offense more productive as to how that would be a bad thing. But based on what some of the guys said after the game, it sounded like there were people either inside of the locker room or at least I definitely saw some people who, On the internet thinking that that was a bad thing. That was a great thing. This was one of the best things that Dwayne Haskins has done. This is a positive step in the idea of him becoming an actual leader on this team. For months, for months, we have heard about Dwayne Haskins not being a leader, not being confident to call plays in the huddle, not working hard, this, that, and the other. Just about any sort of report that could come out against the kid, in terms of what he can do on the football field, has come out. And yet now we're seeing him evolve at a rather quick rate based on some of those reports, and this is him being a leader. Long gone are the days where he can't call plays in the huddle. He is now going up to his guys and saying, he's taking control of the conversation, taking control on the sideline and saying, hey, let's go, we are trying to be great here. Now, granted, the team is very far away from being great, but it's a very... Very positive, not probably not the first step, but first major step, I would say, in him being an actual leader on the team. Because when I saw that video, and there was some profanity in it, so if you don't like profanity, just be wary of that. Uh, but when I saw that video, I'm seeing like the, he's not scared. He's not scared of anyone in that huddle. And there's some big dudes in that huddle. There, there's some big, big veterans in that, that little group on our offensive line Morgan Mose, Brandon Sheriff, all these guys. He is not scared of them at all in this situation. He is just wanting to do what is best for the team. And like I said, in my heart, I believe that the Darius Geis drive happened immediately after that. That was that was just one of the first, that's the biggest positive that I have seen from Dwayne Haskins so far this year. He is still missing certain throws. He is still not looking down the field in on certain plays as much as you would like him to. And at times forcing certain situations. And that did all happen against the Jets. I mean, look, you don't accidentally wait until like the fourth quarter to score. okay? I mean, that's you you are scoring in garbage time. Obviously, those those touchdowns count a lot more or at least impact the game a lot more in the first quarter rather than late in the game. But I did see some other signs in in those drives where I, I was positive. I was happy. You know, I saw some things. He, he did look mobile in the pocket. He was able to shift the pocket a little bit. Maybe one of the biggest things, he doesn't seem to give up on guys, on his wide receivers. I mean, Jeremy Sprinkle has dropped a couple passes now. That should absolutely 100% be catches. But Dwayne Haskins doesn't give up on him. Like he will, Jeremy Sprinkle will drop a pass, and then Dwayne Haskins will go right back to him a few plays later. I do think that is crucial. Um, I think that's big for his development, saying that I am trusting the guys that I have gone to work with for the past week. I'm trusting them to make some plays. Now, yes, it would be very nice if—and it's not just Jeremy Sprinkle, but it is him and a couple other guys if you would stop dropping the passes. Like, help your rookie quarterback out a little bit, please. But Dwayne's ability to have short-term memory in those situations and go go right back to the guys, I thought was a big positive— And then that Darius Geist drive was great. He made a couple big throws. Um, So I I saw some positives. There were absolutely some negatives. um, But more than anything, the way that he progressed just during the game itself, I thought was a big positive. You can kind of see throughout certain drives and possessions that he is actively growing as a quarterback. And a part of that is actually really cool to sit back and watch. Um, And then just from the actual team getting better standpoint, it is crucial to see him consistently get better. Um, so overall, I would rate his performance against the Jets as a C+. He got his first touchdown. He got a second touchdown. He didn't quite go for 250 yards like I predicted. But um, 200 yards and two touchdowns isn't terrible. He did have an interception, but that happens. He is a rookie. 19 of 35 isn't the worst in the world. Obviously, you would like to see that completion percentage go up. But like I said, he is a rookie. He is still learning how to play at the NFL level. I thought overall we saw enough positives to at least be pleased with the performance. So just slightly above average. You know, C is average in grade school. So we're going to give this a C plus. But moving on to this week, not predicting because I learned last week, but we are taking on the Detroit Lions, who are a very strange team because at the beginning of the year they looked really, really good and they were just kind of on the the wrong end of some bad bounces, bad plays, whatever you want to call it, that had them in a, in a tough spot. Well, now their defense, led by Matt Patricia, who was supposed to be a defense guy, their defense is bottom four in total yardage, and they're bottom three in passing yardage. So this is a game that is set up, essentially, for Dwayne Haskins to continue to build off of what we saw against New York. So, I guess I'll do this again. I would I would like 250 yards. I mean, if he touches 300 or at least flirts with it, I think that's a huge plus. And a couple more touchdowns. The, 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 the way that that kind of lined up a little bit, seeing New York, the Jets, and then seeing Detroit in back-to-back weeks for Dwayne Haskins, That is a little bit of a blessing. We do have Carolina the week after, and they're a a bit of a tougher defense. Certainly much tougher than both the Lions and the Jets. uh, But get some of this stuff going. Build some form of rhythm offensively and and get the offense moving a little bit. And along with that, I'm going to continue to preach this until it actually starts happening. We have to get Terry McLaurin the ball more. I don't understand why we stopped going to him. Dwayne's first great throw, which ended up getting called back because of those stupid penalties, two of them really, that deep throw to Terry was great. It got called back because of the penalties, and then we stopped going deep to him. The Redskins should, on average, go deep to Terry McLaurin at least once a quarter. At least once. Odds are you're going to catch him off guard. You're going to catch the defense off guard at least once, hopefully twice, throughout the entire game if you go deep to him once a quarter. I don't think this is rocket science here. He is your best player. He is a speedster, and he's shown, as we saw against the Jets and literally every other time that we try to get this dude the ball, he is going to go up and make plays. Continue to get him the ball at least one deep shot per quarter for Terry McLaurin. That's what I want to see against this Lions team. Dwayne and Terry do have some chemistry. It's not off the wall. But they do have chemistry. Continue to build off of that. Get it Terry McLaurin deep once a quarter. And then for the love of God, if we're going to play Darius Geis, can we please use him? Wendell Smallwood has been a nice guy to have around in the fact that he was a running back when we had a lot of hurt running backs. But if Darius Geis is healthy, put him in the damn football game. Like Bill Callahan is Mr. Run the Football over here. Mr. Utilize these running backs. And Darius Geis was healthy And it took him until nearly halftime to get into the football game. What are we doing? Use the guys that you have. Use the talent on your roster the correct way, please. I'm not saying the Redskins win that game if Darius Geis is in it for the entirety. But damn, it would be nice to see Darius Geis in the game for the entirety of the game if he is healthy. So those are the three things I want to see on offense. I want to see Dwayne Haskins eclipse 200 yards and have a couple more touchdowns. I want to see Terry McLaurin get the ball just about as much as he possibly can and use Darius Geis correctly. You now have a 1-2 combo with him and Adrian Peterson for the first time healthy that we have really ever had. Let's at least see what this is. We know that Geis is going to be the future because Adrian Peterson, while performing at a great level for the age that he is, that is not something that is sustainable. And we recognize that he is eventually going to call it quits. But while we have these two guys healthy, let's see what the, let's see what the one-two combo is with those two. Use Darius Geis, please. It shouldn't be that hard. All right, so that's going to kind of wrap it up. This did go a little longer than I anticipated it was going to go, but we had a lot of things to talk about. I'd love to know your opinions on everything. Dwayne Haskins and his performance, what you expect from him against Detroit, or the poll, or the crippling crippling reality, I should say. The dance Snyder is probably never going to sell the team. Just let that marinate on your brain a little bit. Let me know your thoughts on all that on Twitter at Denton underscore day. Until then, let's cross our fingers, cross your toes, say your prayers, and hope we be... uh, We beat the Lions, but if not, we will be back at it again next time, this time next week, right here on the Pigpen Podcast.